0: Alrighty, well, as Trevor always says, bonjour, hello, and happy Monday. Welcome to the Pick Up the Blitz podcast. Today, uh, a little bit delayed because the Dolphins played on Thursday, but we wanted to stick to our schedule. So our Monday locker room recording, 5.30 p.m. We are doing our Dolphins Week 3 recap. And finally, after three weeks, we get to recap a win. That's kind of nice. So... Gentlemen, start right off the bat. First impressions, highlights, notes from Thursday's. And by the way, when was the last time the Dolphins won a primetime game? That was sort of nice to see
1: as well. What were your yeah, when, it's been a while first thoughts since we, and impressions? Yeah, it's been a while since we won a, on a, a primetime uh, game like that. It was pretty nice to, to sit back and knowing that's the only game that everyone's watching and they didn't put up a stinker. Like, that's awesome. It felt good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know what? Truthfully, the first thing that jumps out to me in terms of first notes and impressions is we were, we were talking a lot about earlier last week that it might be Tua time sooner than we thought. And I don't think, at least for the next couple of weeks, that that's going to ring true, given the performance on Thursday. I mean, Fitzpatrick I looked looked great, dare I say it, especially in prime time. Um, so I'm, I have sort of mixed feelings. On the one hand, I was sort of looking forward to seeing what Tua could do earlier in the season. And you know, on the other hand, as I was articulating last week, I, I mean, if Fitzpatrick is playing well, you know, we keep him in. And he certainly showed that he can, you know, keep that starting quarterback position for at least a of weeks. Yeah, at
1: I, least. I, I completely agree. I think, uh, which is another I one of my that, phrases that I like to use. I, I'm yeah. going to see how long I can, how quickly I can get through all of my catchphrases in, in this episode. Um, but Fitzpatrick, you oh, know. I, I mean? got a
2: phone call. Did you say I completely agree with you? That's my hope. Yeah, is that what sure. I missed? Of course Excellent. I did.
1: Of course I did. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when we talked about, or when we broke down the, the Pats Miami game, um, I was trying my best to defend Ryan Fitzpatrick saying that a lot of what we saw wasn't totally his fault. Um, and I think these last two weeks are, I don't listen, I don't think Fitzpatrick is going to light the world on fire every time he goes out there. He's just not that type of quarterback, but I think that you can get a competitive football game out of him. Generally speaking, he will put up a stinker here and there, but generally speaking, and I think what we've seen these last two weeks is is basically him saying, "Uh, it's not it's not my time yet. I'm not I'm not going to be benched yet. I'm I need to go out. I need to perform. I know we got this young guy in the wings, but we're gonna I'm gonna keep fighting until until I'm forced to surrender this starting gig. So i I've been impressed with Fitzpatrick all season, including that three interception dud. Against the Patriots. And and I mean, he was I was looking at some some uh, PFF stuff before we hopped on the air here. And he was perfect under pressure on Thursday night. Perfect. He, he every time that they, they got pressure on him, he threw the ball and completed it. That's it. That's incredible. You know, and, and he and he did it with his legs. He didn't put up gaudy passing numbers. He just ran that offense perfectly. And they got a big win out of it. Yeah,
0: and you know, critics will point to the fact that the Dolphins faced what was significantly less competition on the defensive side of the ball, but I don't think that should negate an eighteen to tw- eighteen out of twenty uh, completions, no picks, bunch of touchdowns. Like Fitzpatrick was essentially perfect on the day, and as we as as was said on the locker room schedule, it was the return of Fitz and we'll get those fits tragic games, as some people like to say, that they're they're going to happen. It's just it's par for the course when you have Ryan Fitzpatrick as your starting quarterback. But as long as he's performed, like as long as these performances are sprinkled in between, I think it's going to be a while before we see before we see Tua. And I I think it also really allowed a lot of other pieces on the offense to to really flourish. I mean Isaiah Ford, Isaiah Ford looked great last week. Like he really looked someone like like someone who could really Produce. And what I really liked to know what Fitzpatrick did is it not only did he allow certain players to flourish that don't always flourish, but it really allowed the team to not be so one-dimensional. Like, it wasn't just Mike Gusecki and that was the entire offense.
1: You know, it really allowed the whole offense to flourish, and that was really nice to see, too. Yeah, he spread the ball around uh, very nicely. Um, you know, th- he... He got everybody involved. I, you know, Ford. I think Ford might have had a better game the week before, but he was involved when he needed to be. He did have that big touchdown catch. Uh, Devonte Parker, remember, he was one of the guys I said was a, a key to a, the game for them. Um, and they went, they went his way often. And he oh, had yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Good... Sorry, it was Ford. The
0: that was that was the Bills week. You're right, but uh, right.
1: Regardless, um, but but regardless, you know, he would, Here's the thing: is the Dolphins didn't need to throw the ball a thousand times. In this game, there was no need for it. So everyone's numbers on the on the passing side of it was were a little bit lower than, you know, what we saw the week earlier. But there was no need to. And that's that's perfect. I would love for Fitzpatrick to put up one hundred and sixty yards, two touchdowns every week. And we still score thirty one points. That would be perfect because that means that you're in control of the game. Right. That means that you are the one dictating the pace. And it's been so often that in the last few years that the Dolphins have been the ones playing from behind. This is before the whole supposed tanking situation, right? It's, it's nice to, to be in the driver's seat for a game where you can kind of rely on some of your running backs to to control the pace of the game a little bit better. We yeah, should and,
2: acknowledge just yeah, briefly sure. that, you know, and Justin, you touched on this at the beginning, the Jaguars obviously are not the most, uh, the most crazy competition in the NFL. And they struggled through most of this game. I mean, Minshew lost a fumble, which I think set up a Miami... Touchdown, if I remember correctly. Yeah. There was a miss to Chris Conley that was at some point in the later half of the game um, that would have been a touchdown. Oh, easy from Minshew. He threw an interception late in the game. Like they, they did not seem like they were in sync. And I know you know we're talking about how the Dolphins played well, but I think we should just acknowledge that in addition to a hotter start and Fitzpatrick playing well, the Jaguars looked pretty hapless for most of this game. The only bright spot, really were the two rushing touchdowns by their undrafted rookie running back. But other than that, um, Minch looked okay, but those mistakes were, you know, incredibly costly against a Miami team that is not always effective, but was able to get up early
0: in this game. And, but credit for, I think a lot of the credit, or at least some of the credit for the, uh, for the Jaguars miscue should go to Brian Flores, taking two weeks of really atrocious defense and adjusting it such that they were able to cause some Jaguars miscues. I mean, Gardner Minshew was under a lot more pressure in this game than either Josh Allen or Cam Newton were in weeks prior. And on top of that, the defensive backfield, well, again facing not quite as talented an offense, but the defensive backfield played a lot better, and it wasn't just that they were playing a less talented team because you saw tangible adjustments that were made that had the defense look completely different than it had in weeks prior. So against the Bills... The Dolphins asked Xavier Howard and Noah Igbenogany to pretty much one-on-one cover John Brennan and Stephon Diggs. Now, John Brennan and Stephon Diggs are are, are talented receivers, but against the Jaguars, the Dolphins played a lot more off coverage, a lot more soft coverage. They were not asking their two corners, one of which is a rookie who played no training camp, to cover guys completely one-on-one. There was safety help, there were guys moving around, there were a lot of adjustments made that made this defense look a lot different, and that will be very important when the Dolphins are facing
1: more talented offenses as well. But there's, there's still, and I don't, I don't know if we want to jump into it, you know, because we're talking about great things. But there, I, I watched, that defense was nowhere near what it needs to be in order to be a, a truly competitive defense in this league. You know, James Robinson had a, an incredible game, both on the ground. Um, well, on the ground he was okay, but it, through the air, you know, he, he no, had a bunch of catches. They were not perfect. And, and there's still that problem of the pass rush. Gardner Minshew, for all the mistakes that he made, um, he had a lot of time to throw the ball, um, and that's and that's going to be a problem when you get a guy who's a little bit more accurate. When you have to play against somebody else, who can, when you play against Patrick Mahomes in a few weeks or Russell Wilson on Sunday, you know that's going to be problematic. This pass rush needs to to figure itself out, or Flores needs to figure something out because you can't do it. You can't stop Russell Wilson with one sack in three weeks, two sacks in three weeks. You know, you got to no. you got to see that that improve a little bit. The sack numbers weren't
0: necessarily—they uh, weren't gaudy. Uh, they did—they did, they did get some pressure though. Uh, you know, it's—it's it's funny. A lot of people, a lot of coaches will talk about this when when reporters are asking why the sack numbers aren't there. It's not always just about—it's not necessarily about the quarterback's knees.
1: I'm not—I'm not, I'm not, not saying that it's only sacks. I'm not saying that it's only sacks. Let, let me—it just—it didn't look like there was enough consistent pressure on Minshew. Yes, there were some, and Kyle Van Noy had a great game. It has been one of the okay. most. Uh, effective linebackers in putting pressure on quarterbacks, even though he has no stacks. But there just there seems like there's too many times in these first three weeks that this opposing quarterbacks have all day to throw the ball, and that's something that I, I don't think was fixed. Yes, the secondary play was much better, but there still needs to be a a better, more consistent pass rush if you want to take down some of these more um, effective quarterbacks in this league. Right, and that's fair. And we knew that would be part of the problem coming into the
0: season without a you know a stalwart pass rusher who was able to put up 15 sacks. It's like it's, it's, it's just like running back by, by committee. It's pass rush by committee, right? And so you hope that with each passing week, one or two guys will step up and, and provide that more. Can we rusher. just look at the other side I of the ball for that, one second? <laughs> how,
2: how many times was Fitzpatrick sacked this game? Uh, I'm not sure he was sacked.
1: I don't think I don't, a whole lot. I any. don't
2: think he was sacked at all, which yeah. when I'm looking at, I'm, I'm not actually, when I was looking at sack numbers, when we first started talking about a few minutes ago, I was thinking we were going to talk the opposite, which was that the offensive line was good enough, obviously not to let the Jaguars sack Fitzpatrick. And when I'm looking at sort of the future of this team, I mean, obviously we want to win games this season, but as I'm looking forward and bringing to it and at some point in the not too distant nor too near future, clearly, um, I'm sort of excited at the prospect of the offensive line being able to work together in such a way that I don't think there was one sack that was allowed on Thursday night um, by the Dolphins' offensive line. I might be misreading, but I can't no, seem I, to find any.
1: I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a single, a single time. He was pressured, but he was not. But that's exciting.
2: That's something to be it, excited about, I think, as Dolphins fans.
1: Yeah, especially when, like you said, with the whole connection that you're trying to bring it in, you know. Um, that's great because this offensive line is gelling much faster than I think anyone thought they were going to. And like I said earlier, I was looking at PFF, um, some pro football focus stuff. Solomon Kinley, fourth-round draft pick, the rookie, 120 pass-block snaps, four quarterback pressures, zero sacks. This, this offensive line is getting is getting better pretty quickly, which is incredible. Yeah, and, and part of the reason that Kinley's status is
0: so exciting is because Kinley came in as a road grader, as a run blocker. And they came in as someone that they were hoping could get the run game going and would hopefully at some point maybe develop into a solid pass blocker. But he's looking like that already, which is very exciting for sure. Now, he hasn't faced, you know, uh, Aaron Donald yet, as he will later in the year, where I'm sure things will get more difficult. Uh, But thus far, the offensive line has been such a nice surprise. Austin Jackson's – I mean, listen, I'm not not a huge Chris Greer fan, but this Tunsil trade – with the way Austin Jackson is playing right now, looks like an absolute heist with regards to the compensation that Miami got back, especially when Houston, by the way, and we should bring this a little up and we're doing a week three review. Houston's 0-3 and Miami has Houston's top two picks next year. That in and of itself is a really a reason to be even
1: more excited about this week three that, that the Dolphins have, have, uh, have had. And there's nothing that you know we can say this for Thursday, but there's nothing there's nothing that excites you about this Houston team no, right now. Nothing, not, at not all. a nothing.
0: nothing, at all. No, that's a great point. And Saul points out in the chat talking about this Dolphins defense. Also, the Jags did not have DJ Chark, so when you're talking Keelan Cole and Chris Conley as your top receivers outside, yes, that's not a uh, a massive threat. But uh, I think the fact that Xavier Howard and Nick Benaghi struggled as much as they did against the Bills and were able to bounce back, no matter who they were facing was still, it shows you that the defense is not anywhere close to what it was last year. This defense is marketedly better than last year's defense that gave up like 100,000 points within the first three weeks of the season. So there's still definitely a cause for excitement. Bobby McCain also had a, a better game after struggling a lot, it seems like, in the first two weeks. Brian Flores talked today in a press conference about McCain because I, I had been... I had been rooting for them to put McCain back at slot corner. And he talked about the fact that having McCain at safety does a lot more for the team rather than him just playing at safety. The fact that he's quarterbacking the defense, quote-unquote. Do you guys see any, like, you guys think there's merit to that? Because to me, I don't know if that's – I mean, could you not quarterback a defense from the – like? how, do, how what? Is, how do you think about that, the fact that
1: McCain's value comes as almost more intangible than tangible at safety? It's, you know, if, if you think about just the positioning on the field, you know, if you're playing that slot cornerback spot, especially in, in press man to man coverage, you're not going to really see the whole what's going on. You're not going to get the whole picture in front of you. Right. You, you drop back to the safety spot. You can see a little bit more of how the rest of the formation looks like outside of the guy or two that you're immediately in front of. So I, I think that's very, um, you know, I, if, if Flores really wants that out of McCain and, and is willing to sacrifice potentially some play in order to make sure that his guys are in position, then I get it putting him in the safety spot because you can just see more. You can see more motion. You can see more of of generally what's going on. I think it makes sense.
0: Right. Yeah, no, the, and there's there's some merit to that. I know it's 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 funny because I you often see that it's linebackers, middle linebackers who are quote unquote quarterback in the defense. The fact that the Dolphins have their safety doing that shows that they definitely trust McCain quite a bit as the uh, really, leader of the entire defense, one of the most veteran players on such a young team and a young secondary. So they definitely uh, have a lot of a lot of trust in him in general. What else? What else did you guys see out of Week Three that uh, that's worth mentioning, worth discussing as we you know, look forward to what's going to be a much more difficult
1: Week Four matchup? Jordan Howard is going to have 12 touchdowns this season, but he's <laughs> also Bob going goes. to only have he's going to yeah, average like a
2: yards. yard a <laughs>
1: Ridiculous. <laughs> I, I am so disappointed in both him and Matt Breida. I thought that they were going to come into this team where where there was no clear, established number one guy at the running back spot. And three weeks in a row, neither of them have impressed me in just about any way. But Um, so Saul
2: in the chat asks us, do we have any more clarity on the running backs? Nick, I'm so glad we're talking about this because the expectations couldn't have, I, like, relative to what we've seen, the expectations couldn't have been higher and the performance could not be lower through these three weeks. It's fascinating. Um, I'm just, I'm a little bit confused as to who, like, I, 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 my thought was that somebody, because there are a lot of teams in the NFL that sort of have, like, running back by committee. Like, you see that often when there isn't a marquee guy behind the quarterback. Um, but nobody seems to really be... Like, I'm not sure who's going to take that number one spot, given the expectations we had coming into the season.
1: Well, it looks like Gaskin has the number one spot. Right,
2: which is the most surprising. If you had said in the beginning of the year, who would it have been? I mean, my guess is that it wouldn't have been Gaskin, would it? Uh, no, 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 it's no, no, I was definitely leaning
1: more Caelan Bellage than Gaskin. So the the, the <laughs> just just you, to, to dig at Justin there for a second. You make the Balage
0: comparison, and I've seen the Belichick comparison not for Breda because Breda's been productive when he's had the ball, but for for the most part, but for Howard. Now the one the one I guess uh, not excuse, but excuse is the word I think maybe the word that fits best that you can give Howard and even Breda, though again Breda's been mostly productive when he's touched the ball. Is that Gaskin currently has played 134 snaps, Reed has played 41, and Jordan Howard has played 21. And with each passing game, Gaskin has played more, and the other two have played less. Now, when you're a running back, and you've we've, we've heard countless running backs discuss this in press conferences, into the media, and 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 the like, it's very difficult to get going, so to speak, when you're getting two carries because it's it's very difficult to find a rhythm. It's very difficult to, you know, get in the game and stay warm. Like you're, you're coming off the sideline totally cold, expected to run for one play and then come back out. So the fact that Gaskin has played well, I think is great. I think it's very disappointing considering the contract and the draft capital that was given to acquire Howard and Brita. And that's maybe more on the front office, or maybe a little bit on the coaching staff. But I'm not so sure how much of it. I mean, when Howard is brought in on a fourth and one and then on a goal line situation, they know we're running the ball. So he's not going to get more than one or two yards, and he can't get more than one or two yards when he's at the goal line because there's nowhere else to go. So while I'm a little disappointed in the overall production, I'm not sure how much of it is is, is Howard's fault, and then maybe to a lesser extent
1: Bree's fault. But but you have to earn playing time for sure, right? For sure. And yeah. and, and and I'm not I'm not talking about in game performances. I'm talking about about practice field stuff. You know, if he if if Ryan Flores, who has shown that he has a uh, a good ability to put the right players on the field. If if you're not showing him something in practice, then that's, that's more on you than it is the amount of carries that you're getting. I hear what you're saying that you definitely want to establish a rhythm, but if you're not showing the head coach that you could help this team uh, in practice, then then it's kind of your fault. You're not getting the carries. It's not like, listen, it's not like Flores went out and got Matt Breda and, and, and paid for Jordan Howard just to watch them ride the bench. I, I think that would be, insane for us to think that was the case. There's something going on in practice that we're not seeing that just is not is not selling Flores on these two guys right now. Oh, yeah. And maybe it's Gaskin just showing out in practice. Maybe Gaskin is like the best
0: practice player we've ever seen. Who knows? Um, I just I'm not sure. I think it's very difficult. I've seen like so many fans on Twitter and, and such bashing Howard. And again, to a lesser extent, Frida. Whereas I'm, I'm not sure how much of it, how much onus and blame I want to put on Howard versus how much I want to put on Chris Greer for spending five million dollars on Howard when you know maybe we sh- that that
1: sh- that should not have been done. Now it's it's not just a huge investment, it's not a huge deal. Uh, for and this. Howard, and Howard has been a productive guy at least in the past. Like he, yeah. I remember when he was first signed, I was very excited about that because so he I. was you know at least in the first couple of seasons of his career was a very good quality running back it's and just, still young. It, and and he's still very young, so I don't I don't fault the, the, the chance because like you said, it's not it's not like they're paying him a cajillion dollars, you know. At the end of the day, it's unfortunate, but I don't think it's a huge mistake. It's just you you would hope that in the next couple of weeks he kind of gets going to get you some some value back. Yeah, and I, I if Gaskin keeps playing this way
0: and doesn't get hurt, I don't think Howard is even going to be on the team next year. I'm pretty sure there's no dead cap if we let him go next year. So It's starting to look like it was very, very much a, uh, a one-year week, uh, one year experiment. Uh, whereas, you know, maybe Brita maybe has kept around at a much lower cost, as sort of a compliment to, to Gaskin. Uh, but it's funny. Everyone keeps, uh, everyone's kind of frustrated with the way the RB situation has turned out, given the investment there, too. It's really, I don't think it's such a huge deal. They were really, it was minor investments, was a relatively small contract for Howard, a like fifth-round pick for Brita. And now you have this other guy, Gaskin, who's showing that he could absolutely be a serviceable starting running back. That's not a bad thing.
1: That's true. Yeah, I, I was wondering what adjective you were going to use to describe him. Serviceable is fair.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's surprising and disappointing in terms of expectations of the other two guys. But in terms of the actual result on the field with Gaskin playing decently and with, as Justin were just saying, it's sort of the lack of ramifications beyond this season in terms of dead cap. It's not doesn't seem like it really matters other than being a little disappointed with what's manifested as
1: beyond mediocre. Jordan right. Howard has sixteen attempts for twelve yards in three. Times. That must be unheard of <laughs> inefficiency over three games.
0: I
2: mean, I certainly That's can't remember fan. the last That's time. That's incredible.
0: It's yeah. Although again, when when half of your carries come where there's only one or two yards that you're allowed to gain by, you know, by statistic like the don't end zone take there. away
1: from the funny of it, Justin. No, don't it take is, away from it, the yeah, funny. You're come right. on.
0: Now, I wouldn't be shocked. By the way, I wouldn't be shocked if if and I, I feel like I've said this every week, but if we start seeing more of the other two, because Gaskin had seven attempts and nine attempts respectively against the Bills and the Patriots, and he had these like really large yards per carry total, six point six yards per carry against the Bills. 4.4 yards per carry against the Patriots, which is still good. Now, against the Jags, he had 22 carries for 66 yards, 3.0. That's a very low number by most NFL standards. So uh, maybe he can't really carry a whole workload like the Dolphins maybe thought he would going into this game. I don't know. It, it's I have a feeling this running back rotation is not set in stone going into week four. I have a feeling we'll see some fluctuations throughout the next few weeks, and I'm not sure it's going to be gaskin the entire way leading the way because – he had five receptions, but 22 carries at 66 yards against a kind of Matt Jacksonville run defense. It's Certainly not great.
1: See, I, I hear you, but we do have to, you know, take the context of his his game into this, right? Where you know the Dolphins are up by 24 points, you're probably not going to throw the ball very often, right? And you're going to run the ball That's true. more. There definitely you know, stacked that, boxes at the end of the game. Right, exactly. And, and if you're the Jags defense, that's exactly what we're doing. Which actually, I'm going to take this opportunity to transition to another point that I didn't really like that much uh, about this victory, is is the complacency that we saw in the second half of just, let's just run the ball and, and kill as much clock as possible. I, I, Brian Flores, coming from the Bill Belichick mindset when, when I see a team like this Dolphins team having a 24-point lead and knowing what works, you don't take your foot off the gas. It looked like he took his foot off the gas a little bit. And I am – listen, the Jacksonville offense was struggling. It's not going to – it didn't seem as though there was a, a true potential comeback uh, out there for them. But against a more quality opponent, you know, taking your foot off the gas pedal is – can be a huge problem. We saw that. But this
2: goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Nick, which is that I don't think that Flores, certainly as a fan, I'm not used to the Dolphins getting off to such a hot start. Like I don't, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't game plan for being ahead in the game, <laughs> but but I think part of the complacency is history, right? Like it's not often that we're up by so many points at the end of the first half, and I. I agree with you that it's not going to work, certainly against other teams, although the caveat to that, of course, I don't expect to be up substantially by any truly competitive team this year. Um, But I'm not surprised by it. I'm definitely a little disappointed, but I wasn't surprised when I saw that happening because, quite frankly, I don't think Flores was expecting it any more than we were.
1: I think I think the image of Brian Flores going in at halftime and just looking at his coaches and being like, wait, we're up by how like many kind clubs? of bewildered. Exactly. What, 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 what do we do, do now? I was planning on throwing the ball 40 more times. <laughs> <laughs> let's so that's
0: a fair complaint. And and the Dolphin, Dolphins scored 21 points in the first half, 10 points in the second half. But let's just for a second look at the other side of the coin. If you're up. If you're up by two scores going into the half and then you score another touchdown and you're suddenly up three scores in the you know middle of the third quarter and you keep throwing the ball and Ryan Fitzpatrick you know has a couple of those errant passes and starts throwing interceptions, you would be on this podcast right now if the Jaguars came back and the Dolphins were throwing that ball saying, what the hell was Brian Flores doing? You're up three scores, run the damn ball and run the clock out if, if the Jags had come back that way. right? So there's always that sort of grass is green on the other side, the other side of the coin
1: kind of argument, right? Like, if, if that has happened. Of course, but it just seems yeah, it just saying. seems that the Dolphins for the last 10 years have just, when they're leading, by whatever they're leading by, whether it's a touchdown, three points, 21 points, whatever it might be, there's just a complacency that kind of just falls over the team. And when you watch some of these good, like the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to throw the ball every chance that they get, whether they're up by 40 or not, you know? And, yes, they have a different quarterback behind their, their offensive line. And I get that There's a. I'm not trying in any way to compare Ryan Fitzpatrick to Patrick Mahomes because I'm not insane, but the, you know, it, it just seems that there's a complacency that kind of has, as like I said, kind of washed over the team when they're up by enough points. And that just gets them in potentially more trouble than they're trying to get themselves out of by running the football. Right. And that, that, that might be just be me like looking at the last 10 years and saying, man, I wish we had thrown the ball more when we're up so we can at least keep that momentum going because it's no question that the momentum died there in the second half.
0: Yeah. The fourth quarter offense was certainly not what the first and second quarter offense was, but uh, you know, maybe it's just the positivity, the optimist in me when I'm up by three scores, if they want to run the clock out and have a little bit more of a boring offense, I, I'm okay with it, and I know that obviously, the, the, with the context that the defense actually did hold and it did work, it's certainly in my mind. But I, I now, I, if I we don't were Atlanta, criticize.
2: we'd be a little bit more worried about giving up three touchdown leads. But because we're not, um, the truth of the matter is, I, I honestly, Nick, I, the way I saw it play out yesterday, and I don't, I think this is going to sort of sound a little silly. I just don't think they were so prepared to be up by so many points. But my hope is that this game at least gives Flores and the coaching staff a little bit more perspective in that they might find themselves up by two or three scores in certain games. And to have a game plan that's a little bit more predicated on keeping the pass
0: as part of
2: what is the second half game plan, especially because as we were just talking about with Jordan Howard and Matt Frida, the running game hasn't manifested quite the way we thought it might have in terms of explosiveness and yards per carry. So hopefully this is a learning experience, especially in week three, and we'll see the team kind of shift and modify their focus and their ability as the season continues on in the second half with a lead that is more than three or seven points.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's the, that's, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much of it is not knowing what to do with a lead versus, you know, uh, maybe not uh, so much wanting to risk the lead, but regardless, I hear a point, and thank God we're not the Atlanta Falcons because my goodness, has that has that just been absolutely painful to watch? And I'm actually very much looking forward to, to breaking that down as well as the Bears' comeback and, and the Nick Foles quarterback change uh, during our our Thursday all football has not
2: disappointed these no, past it has three not.
0: weeks. No, it has not at all. No, it has not at all. Actually, I think this is some of the most entertaining football. Uh, at least entertaining beginnings to the season with a lot of crazy storylines that we uh, that we've seen in, in quite a while. Maybe some of it is uh, is uh, just you know the thirst for football that so many of us had going into the season with very few um, sports over the course of the summer. But no, it's definitely not not disappointing. So I know I know we're gonna go into a bit of the actual you know looking towards next week's matchup when we do our our Friday Dolphins uh, Week Four preview, but. Just a little based on what you saw last week and what the Seahawks have been doing, which is just absolutely tearing apart every opponent they've seen. Is there, like, what are you hoping to see for the Dolphins now coming off of that big win in the Seattle game? Because I'm almost hesitant to hope for a win because the Seahawks have just... Uh, to use to, one of the SAT words, eviscerated every single opponent they've come in contact with. Good what are you hoping word. to see in that? In in this coming off this win and this Justin's just
2: asking go. one of us to ask what his SAT score was, right, Justin? We yeah, know that's your was no, right now. there was no.
0: It
1: was no <laughs> an ACT, by the way. Oh, excuse. Oh, see, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, so I would like to see the Dolphins. Obviously I'd like to see a win, but watching how Seattle, like you said, eviscerated their opponents that they've played over the last few weeks. I, I don't see that as completely likely, although it's not outside of the realm of possibility any given Sunday, right? What I would like to see is keeping the game close and I would like to see a continued, uh, continued success from the offense, right? So even if your defense is still working through some growing pains, um, as if the offense can show that they can still continue to build on the two successful weeks that they've had. I think that you can walk away from that, even though even if you lose, right, and you're sitting at one and three, I think you can walk away from that and say, okay, we still, we just ran into a juggernaut. We still should be able to string together a couple more wins here and keep our season alive.
2: Yeah. I just want a competitive game. And I want to see most of all, because I'm not expecting a win here, I'd like to see a similar start to this past week. And I know that that's unlikely, but I think as fans, we've all been thirsting for the dolphins to be able to start the game, not with a three and out or two first downs and then punting the ball as we've gotten so accustomed to over the last decade. I would just like to see that same kind of fire coming out of the gate, even if it doesn't result in a win or even a particularly competitive game. I would just like to see sort of that same veracity to use another SAT word and, uh, and fire from, from the dolphins.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what that, that, to be honest, that's a very fair expectation, because the Seahawks, by the way, by more than 30 yards, have the worst yardage defense in the NFL. And yes, they've scored a bajillion points and put a billion offensive yards of their own, and that's why they're 3-0, and and teams have been chasing, and that's why teams are able to put up some garbage time yards and points on the Seahawks, but they are dead last in yards allowed by a yes. significant margin. And so yes. I do not think that it's unfair to expect a strong offensive performance from Miami because you do not come in dead last in a yardage category, no matter how, no matter what other factors are in play. You know, the Seahawks defense is in trouble and Jamal Adams just got hurt. Jordan Brooks, the first round pick, just got hurt. This, this Seahawks defense is hurting. And so the Dolphins certainly should be able to at least continue their offense prog- progression that they, you know, really showed uh, in
1: Jacksonville if this turns out to be a shootout, I think I'm going to lose my mind because if, if the Dolphins can keep up with that high powered Seahawks offense, then that's, that just says that Chang Galey even, even though he hasn't coached in a while, definitely has been keeping up with what's going on and knows how to, how to coach this team. So I would, it would be incredible if they can, if they can keep it close.
0: Can you imagine Fitzpatrick trying to keep up in a, in a one-to-one shootout with, uh, with Russell Wilson? That's,
1: it, it might something be a little tells me. Something right? tells me. Yeah, tell. Something tells me I, it's not going to happen. But talk about sure would be fun to and watch. We'll
2: talk about this on Thursday. But talk about how Russell Wilson has been
1: playing these first three weeks. My God, it's just yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's and that's I think the concern because he's gonna he's gonna carve especially if we see the defense that we saw against Buffalo. He's gonna carve carve him up. Oh yeah, in the secondary. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, let's 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 be real. Let's no matter no matter how many adjustments Brian Flores makes, Russell Wilson playing this hot is going to be completing far more passes for far more yards and far more scores than Gardner Minshew completed against Big and Xavier Howard. It's, it's gonna it's gonna be a high scoring game on Seattle's end, I think without a doubt. And no matter how much optimism I have, I don't think I could count on Brian Flores' defense to clamp down this Russell Wilson offense for right now. Uh, it's really just gonna be a matter of whether or not Chan Gailey can. Can whip some up and yeah whether Ryan Fitzpatrick is somehow uh, somehow able to keep up um you know there's there's one more note on Fitzpatrick and I, I forgot to bring this up when we were talking before Ryan Fitzpatrick and it was more evident in this game and I think than any other game I've seen of him his teammates absolutely love playing with and around him and I know we've discussed yes, this before and do. I don't mean I don't mean to sort of uh, to Harp on it too much, but uh, did you guys watch the Bengals uh, um, Eagles game or any of it? I'm sorry if you did because it was an awful game. But did you happen to see any of it? I uh, did bits and pieces. Okay, so in the fourth quarter, the Eagles are down by seven. Carson Wentz is driving, and at the vi- like last second score, Carson Wentz runs from about the seven yard line, dives into the end zone like Superman, superhero type score and ties up the game for the Eagles to bring the Bengals to overtime. Obviously, it ended in a tie. But this score was like that vintage Carson Wentz we haven't seen in a very long time. It was very impressive, and I thought it would have hyped the whole team up. The guys sort of just came around to give him a high five, maybe a little pat on the back, pat on the head, because it doesn't seem like guys enjoy playing with Carson Wentz. But when Ryan Fitzpatrick runs into the end zone, even after the game is long put away, the guys are just ecstatic. They freak out. Like, they are yeah, they so excited him. for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They love him. And and it's it's really I mean it's it's really fun to see it's fun to see Dolphins players having so much fun playing football because that's been missing
1: also a lot from, from Miami football for a long time since the days of the dreaded Gates. <laughs> yeah, guys guys really do seem to to love playing
0: uh, for Flores and for Fitzpatrick and in Miami, which is really really nice to see, and definitely not not so much for Adam Gase up in Europe. By the way, I saw I saw an odds list. Uh, of, of coaches most likely to be fired, Dan Quinn was ahead of Adam Gase of like next. Head Did coach you guys see fired. there
2: was just an article? I was waiting to bring this up that came out. I think it was on Bleacher Report that if they lose to the Broncos, Gase will be fired.
1: I so, saw that. I thought saw that as well. That they're Not that we're calling for anyone's job, and
2: we don't want to see anybody get fired. But my God, have they been atrocious!
1: Oh but, no, I was I was on locker room last night calling for his job because Jet fans deserve better. They really do. do you think
0: that it's more, do you think it's more likely for Gase to go first than than Quinn? Because Quinn was odds-on favorite. I think it was plus one hundred and fifty, and then Gase was plus three hundred. Gase was second, which surprised me
1: because I think Quinn has more. I think there's uh, more. Even though the the Falcons have blown these these games in in historic fashion, um, I just think there's more negativity around Adam Gase that would just. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where if you can feel the negativity when you walk into your office, you know, you want to get rid of that as quickly as possible, and I feel like that's the case here.
0: Yeah, part of it might be like if if Quinn was in New York and was losing games the way he is right now with Atlanta, I think it'd be worse a you lot. The worse. Nail on the head. Sure.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a 100%, 100% why because given what's been going on and the way they've been losing games, He, I mean, it would be so much worse, both from the media, and I think he'd already be gone. But, I mean, Nick also said this perfectly, like, Adam Gase has been a menace on and off the field. I mean, Dan Quinn... (laughs) And not in a good way. (laughs) No, in in the worst of ways. I mean, Dan Quinn obviously has had some historic blown leads, as we said, but I haven't heard much of anything about off-the-field, locker room-type issues, whereas Adam Gase is just sort of universally disliked, even in his own locker room,
0: so...
1: Yeah, and I don't mean to totally did. switch sports on us real quick, but talking about coaches, Doc Rivers was just fired for the Clippers.
0: Was he fired or did he step down? Because it was unclear last I looked. He is out. He's out. He's gone. He is really
2: out. Really fascinating. Yes. Okay,
0: we need to. We do need to at the.
2: I don't know if we're almost at the conclusion, but we need to talk about whether like what what the uh, what the game to game score is going to be with the Heat and the Lakers in the finals, which. I could not be more excited to see the Heat in the finals this year. It's absolutely crazy.
1: Super excited. Are you going to pick
2: pick the Heat to win? I I mean, I have to pick the Heat to win. I have to pick the Heat to win. I think it's going to be a close series. I think it's going to go at least six games, but I'm going to take the Heat in seven.
1: I'm going to take the Heat in six. I'm going to go really, really crazy out there. Heat in six. Jimmy Butler knows how to defend LeBron, and I think that's the biggest – the biggest key to this. And, and with Adebayo, uh defending... Do you think it
2: Anthony, matters? I was talking about this yesterday. Um, my girlfriend and I were watching the game. We were talking about whether or not Eric Spolster's experience coaching LeBron for four years um, is going to have any kind of effect on the way in which the Heat prepare. Do you guys think that it matters that there's like almost half a decade of coaching experience playing against the person on the other side of the sideline?
1: I, I want to say no. Um, just because LeBron is... Is so good at so many different things, and you know, obviously, you're aware of what he's good at, right? And you can you can kind of game plan. But it's been so long since since Bulger right. coached LeBron. And LeBron right. has really transitioned as it, as it into a different type of player since then. Um, I don't I don't think it's going to matter that much. I mean, maybe you know the tendencies, but LeBron is the most followed basketball player in the game, so everybody knows his tendencies. It's just a question right. of whether or not you can stop him. And I think that this Heat team is being undersold on, on their ability to potentially stop this um, th- this this powerful duo of the Lakers. Yeah, I, I'd i say there's got to be some sort of... I'm not sure
0: how much of an advantage it gives you. I don't think it, it's going to change the score. I'm sure it can change a little bit how the Heat prepare. Yeah, I think it, maybe how the Heat prepare. I'm sure, if, you know, Folster will throw in... A word or two to to hero who you know hasn't gotten a chance to play against LeBron. Like you know, like it's a whole like it's 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 gonna I'm sure affect their practice preparation a little bit, but I don't see it affecting the score at the end of the at the end of the game. You know?
1: Can I tell you Not guys totally totally off topic um, thing I just saw? Do it. The Washington football team is first in the NFC East. Yeah, it's just wild.
0: And they were they were after after week one. Like, I don't, like, you know, I, that, I feel like I have to refresh this end.
1: page because I don't think that's right.
0: But the fact that it's still three weeks in and they oh are my God, that, it is. that is. Everyone was saying that uh, AFC East was the worst division in football going into the year. It is one hundred percent, without a doubt, no questions asked, the NFC East, despite the that's fact like, that the Jets
1: are in the AFC East. When you get a chance, look at the numbers for that decision. It's it is, it's bad. It, yeah. yeah. And the really Cowboys bad. offense is the
0: only <laughs> impressive unit, maybe outside of the, the Washington football team's front seven, the Cowboys offense is the only unit that has been somewhat impressive. And they've been very impressive, but the only unit that's been impressive of all four of those teams. It's really just the Cowboys offense and the Washington football team's front seven. And they just, by the way, uh, lost Chase Young for at least a week or two to a uh, to a groin strain, so even that unit is, is hurting. One more note, by the way, for anyone who listens to this podcast on locker room or otherwise, and I know Mac's listening in the in the um, in the locker room right now, and he's a baseball fan. The Marlins, the Marlins yes. made the playoffs for the first time in a very long time. Brian Flores was sporting a Marlins cap. World well, Series bound, today. baby, let's go! So there's another shout-out for Miami sports is on the up. That's that's Miami
1: sports had probably. The perfect weekend it could have had. The Dolphins win. The Marlins going to the playoffs. The Heat going to the finals. It's 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 nice for the city of Miami and their sports franchise to be relevant for more than just how bad they are.
0: Exactly. So here's the hoping we could uh we could keep some of that. Oh, Saul's saying we have the LeBron stoppers in Jimmy and Iggy and and Cratter. So who knows? Maybe
1: I I I'm Iggy you, is if going if, if to we be go different. Iggy is going No, to be I think I think Crowder series. is. I think Saul said it perfectly. I think Crowder is. I think if Jay Crowder can start hitting his shots which he really struggled with in the last couple games there, he's going to be a difference maker on the team cuz you they're going to they're going to stop Jimmy, they're going to try and stop Jimmy, they're going to try and stop Bam, they're going to try and stop Dragic. If Crowder can get going and play quality defense, he's he's going to be an X factor in this series. I have oh, and- to say
2: though, like on this on this sort of ending note, the prospects for Miami Sports with two awaiting in the wings with the Heat, whether they win or not this year, with the young core they have, with the
0: Marlins now apparently in the playoffs. I
2: don't
0: think the prospects have and, ever been brighter for Miami and sports. as Saul points out in the chat, the Miami Hurricanes. A great game this weekend against yeah, the against FSC. yes but Right the when American I graduate. Bringing the, uh, <laughs> bringing the Canes up to some relevancy as well. Top 10 in the rankings. So Miami sports all in all. Very, very Finally. Exciting. Finally. So it's, it's been a very,
1: very rough um, <laughs> few years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a fun time to be a Miami sportsman. Well, is there anything else you want to throw in before we wrap up here?
1: Uh, no. Know. no. I, I'm just, <laughs> Marlins. I'm Marlins start their Miami playoff sports. series on on Wednesday, correct? Uh, yeah. Wait. Don't the Heat also play on Wednesday? No.
2: They play on Wednesday at 9 p.m. At 9 p.m. Oh my goodness. Which who, is ridiculous who, because who, it's the Heat. Who plays at East. 9 p.m. The the finals yeah. are at nine oh, in Orlando, which I really don't understand,
1: but. Whatever. I guess Nothing you, you got to get
0: those Lakers fans to be able to get home from from work to watch the game. I guess. I guess I'm
1: gonna have to call in sick the next few days.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Marlins do play on Wednesday at two p.m. So there's a nice play. If you wanted to get both games in, you can wow baseball at two. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to get both games in, you should you should be able to do that, given the uh, given those time slots. But guys. I think that's all we got. I think we'll we'll wrap up on that note, on that positive note. Guys, everyone on Locker Room, thank you so much for jumping on and listening to our Dolphin three, Week 3 recap. I know, again, a little bit delayed since the Dolphins played on Thursday, but glad we got to get this episode mm-hmm. in. As always, Locker Room three times a week uh, live. We'll be on again on Thursday at 6.30 p.m. to do our all-NFL show. to preview week four maybe talk a little bit of what happened week three, definitely some wild games. And then on Friday, we'll be having our dolphins preview to go in depth more about the matchups we'll be seeing in that Dolphins Seahawks game. So once again, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for listening. And we'll be speaking at you soon. Thanks everybody. Thanks.